Chapter Three of Kenilworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Kenilworth by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Three. Nay, all hold touch. The game shall be played out. It ne'er shall stop for me this merry wager. That which I say, when gamesome, I'll avouch in my most sober mood. Ne'er trust me else. The hazard table. And how doth your kinsman, good mine host? said Tressilian, when Giles Gosling first appeared in the public room, on the morning following the revel which we described in the last chapter. Is he well, and will he abide by his wager? For well, sir, he started two hours since, and has visited I know not what purlieus of his old companions. Hath but now returned, and is at this instant breakfasting on new-laid eggs and muscadine. And for his wager, I caution you as a friend to have little to do with that, or indeed with aught that Mike proposes. Wherefore, I counsel you to warm a breakfast upon a collis, which shall restore the tone of the stomach, and let my nephew and Master Goldthread swagger about their wager as they list. It seems to me, mine host, said Tressilian, that you know not well what to say about this kinsman of yours, and that you can neither blame nor commend him without some twinge of conscience. You have spoken truly, Master Tressilian, replied Giles Gosling. There is natural affection whimpering into one ear. Giles, Giles, why wilt thou take away the good name of thy own nephew? Wilt thou defame thy sister's son, Giles Gosling? Wilt thou defoul thine own nest? dishonour thine own blood and then again comes justice and says here is a worthy guest as ever came to the bonny black bear one who never challenged a reckoning as i say to your face you never did master tressilian not that you have had cause one who knows not why he came so far as i can see or when he is going away and wilt thou being a publican having paid scott and lot these thirty years in the town of cumnor and being at this instant head borough wilt thou suffer this guest of guests this man of men this six-hooped pot as i may say of a traveller to fall into the meshes of thy nephew who is known for a swasher and a desperate dick a carter and a dicer a professor of the seven damnable sciences if ever man took degrees in them. No, by heaven! I might wink and let him catch such a small butterfly as gold-thread, but thou, my guest, shalt be forewarned, forearmed, so thou wilt but listen to thy trusty host. Why, mine host, thy counsel shall not be cast away, replied Tressilian. However, I must uphold my share in this wager, having once passed my word to that effect. But let me, I pray, some of thy counsel. This Foster, who or what is he, and why makes he such mystery of his female inmate? Troth, replied Gosling, I can add but little to what you heard last night. He was one of Queen Mary's Papists, and now he is one of Queen Elizabeth's Protestants. He was an onhanger of the Abbot of Abingdon, and now he lives as master of the manor-house. Above all, he was poor, and is rich. 
folk talk of private apartments in his old waste mansion-house. Bedizened fine enough to serve the queen, God bless her. Some men think he found a treasure in the orchard, some that he sold himself to the devil for treasure, and some say that he cheated the abbot out of the church-plate, which was hidden in the old manor-house at the Reformation. Rich, however, he is, and God and his conscience, with the devil perhaps besides, only know how he came by it. He has sulky ways, too, breaking off intercourse with all that are of the place, as if he had either some strange secret to keep, or held himself to be made of another clay than we are. I think it likely my kinsman and he will quarrel, if Mike thrust his acquaintance on him. And I am sorry that you, my worthy master, Tressilian, will still think of going in my nephew's company. Tressilian again answered him that he would proceed with great caution, and that he should have no fears on his account. In short, he bestowed on him all the customary assurances with which those who are determined on a rash action are wont to parry the advice of their friends. Meantime, the traveller accepted the landlord's invitation, and had just finished the excellent breakfast, which was served to him and Gosling by pretty Cicely, the beauty of the bar, when the hero of the preceding night, Michael Lamborn, entered the apartment. His toilet had apparently cost him some labour, for his clothes, which differed from those he wore on his journey, were of the newest fashion, and put on with great attention to the display of his person. "'By my faith, uncle,' said the gallant, "'you made a wet night of it, and I feel it followed by a dry morning. I will pledge you willingly in a cup of bastard. How, my pretty cuz, Cicely, why, I left you but a child in the cradle, and there thou standest in thy velvet waistcoat, as tight a girl as England's sun shines on. Know thy friends and kindred, Cicely, and come hither, child, that I may kiss thee and give thee my blessing.' "'Concern not yourself about Cicely, kinsman,' said Giles Gosling. "'But even let her go her way, a god's name, "'for although your mother were her father's sister, "'yet that shall not make you and her cater cousins.' "'Why, uncle,' replied Lamborn, "'thinkest thou I am an infidel, "'and would harm those of mine own house?' "'It is for no harm that I speak, Mike,' answered his uncle." but a simple humour of precaution which I have. True, thou art as well gilded as a snake when he casts his old slough in the springtime, but for all that, thou creepest not into my Eden. I will look after mine Eve, Mike, and so content thee. But how brave thou be'st, lad, to look on thee now and compare thee with Master Tressilian here in his sad-coloured riding-suit, who would not say that thou wert the real gentleman, and he the tapster's boy? Troth, uncle, no one would say so, but one of your country breeding, that knows no better. I will say, and I care not who hears me, there is something about the real gentry, that few men come up to that, are not born and bred to the mystery. I wot not where the trick lies, but although I can enter an ordinary with as much audacity, rebuke the waiters and drawers as loudly, drink as deep a health, swear as round an oath, and fling my gold as freely about as any of the jingling spurs and white feathers that are around me. Yet hang me if I can ever catch the true grace of it, 
though I have practice a hundred times. The man of the house sets me lowest at the board, and carves me the last, and the drawer says, Coming, friend, without any more reverence or regardful addition. But hang it, let it pass, care killed a cat. I have gentry enough to pass the trick on Tony, fire the faggot, and that will do for the matter in hand. You hold your purpose, then, of visiting your old acquaintance, said Tressilian to the adventurer. Ay, sir, replied Lambourne, when stakes are made, the game must be played. That is, gamester's law, all over the world. You, sir, unless my memory fails me, for I did steep it somewhat too deeply in the sack-butt, took some share in my hazard. I propose to accompany you in your adventure, said Tressilian, if you will do me so much grace as to permit me, and I have staked my share of the forfeit in the hands of our worthy host. That he hath, answered Giles Gosling, in as fair hairy nobles as ever were melted in a sack by a good fellow. So, luck to your enterprise, since you will needs venture on Tony Foster. But, by my credit, you had better take another draught before you depart, for your welcome at the hall yonder will be somewhat of the driest. And if you do get into peril, beware of taking to cold steel. But send for me, Giles Gosling, the headborough, and I may be able to make something out of Tony yet, for as proud as he is. The nephew dutifully obeyed his uncle's hint by taking a second powerful pull at the tankard, observing that his wit never served him so well as when he had washed his temples with a deep morning's draught, and they set forth together for the habitation of Anthony Foster. The village of Cumnor is pleasantly built on a hill, and in a wooded park closely adjacent was situated the ancient mansion occupied at this time by Anthony Foster, of which the ruins may be still extant. The park was then full of large trees, and in particular of ancient and mighty oaks, which stretched their giant arms over the high wall surrounding the domain, thus giving it a melancholy, secluded, and monastic appearance. The entrance to the park lay through an old-fashioned gateway in the outer wall, the door of which was formed of two huge oaken leaves, thickly studded with nails, like the gate of an old town. "'We shall be finely helped up here,' said Michael Lamborn, looking at the gateway and gate, if this fellow's suspicious humour should refuse us admission altogether, as it is like he may, in case this linsey-wolsey fellow of a mercer's visit to his premises has disquieted him but no he added pushing the huge gate which gave way the door stands invitingly open and here we are within the forbidden ground without other impediment than the passive resistance of a heavy oak door moving on rusty hinges they stood now in an avenue overshadowed by such old trees as we have described and which had been bordered at one time by high hedges of yew and holly. But these, having been untrimmed for many years, had run up into great bushes, or rather dwarf trees, and now encroached, with their dark and melancholy boughs, upon the road which they once had screened. The avenue itself was grown up with grass, and in one or two places 
interrupted by piles of withered brushwood, which had been lopped from the trees cut down in the neighboring park, and was here stacked for drying. Formal walks and avenues which, at different points, crossed this principal approach, were in like manner choked up and interrupted by piles of brushwood and billets, and in other places by underwood and brambles. Besides the general effect of desolation which is so strongly impressed, whenever we behold the contrivances of man wasted and obliterated by neglect, and witness the marks of social life effaced gradually by the influence of vegetation, the size of the trees and the outspreading extent of their boughs diffused a gloom over the scene, even when the sun was at the highest, and made a proportional impression on the mind of those who visited it. This was felt even by Michael Lamborn, however alien his habits were to receiving any impressions excepting from things which addressed themselves immediately to his passions. This wood is as dark as a wolf's mouth, said he to Tressilian, as they walked together slowly along the solitary and broken approach, and had just come in sight of the monastic front of the old mansion, with its shafted windows, brick walls overgrown with ivy and creeping shrubs, and twisted stalks of chimneys of heavy stonework. And yet, continued Lamborn, it is fairly done on the part of Foster, too, for since he chooses not visitors, it is right to keep his place in a fashion that will invite few to trespass upon his privacy. But had he been the Anthony I once knew him, these sturdy oaks had long since become the property of some honest woodmonger, and the manor clothes here had looked lighter at midnight than it now does at noon. While Foster played fast and loose with the price, in some cunning corner in the purlieus of white friars, was he then such an unthrift? asked Tressilian. He was, answered Lamborn, like the rest of us, no saint and no saver. But what I liked worst of Tony was that he loved to take his pleasure by himself, and grudged, as men say, every drop of water that went past his own mill. I have known him deal with such measures of wine when he was alone, as I would not have ventured on with the aid of the best toper in Berkshire that and some sway toward superstition which he had by temperament rendered him unworthy the company of a good fellow and now he has earthed himself here in a den just befitting such a sly fox as himself may i ask you master lamborn said tressilian since your old companion's humour jumps so little with your own wherefore you are so desirous to renew acquaintance with him and may I ask you, in return, Master Tressilian, answered Lamborn, wherefore you have shown yourself so desirous to accompany me on this party. I told you my motive, said Tressilian, when I took share in your wager. It was simple curiosity. Ah, you there now, answered Lamborn. See how you civil and discreet gentlemen think to use us who live by the free exercise of our wits. Had I answered your question by saying that it was simple curiosity which led me to visit my old comrade, Anthony Foster, I warrant you had set it down for an evasion, and a turn of my trade. But any answer, I suppose, must serve my turn. And wherefore should not bear curiosity, said Tressilian, 
be a sufficient reason for my taking this walk with you oh content yourself sir replied lambourne you cannot put the change on me so easy as you think for i have lived among the quick-stirring spirits of the age too long to swallow chafe for grain you are a gentleman of birth and breeding your bearing makes it good of civil habits and fair reputation your manner declares it and my uncle avouches it and yet you associate yourself with a sort of scant of grace as men call me and knowing me to be such you make yourself my companion in a visit to a man whom you are a stranger to and all out of mere curiosity forsooth the excuse if curiously balanced would be found to want some scruples of just weight or so if your suspicions were just said tressilian you have shown no confidence in me to invite or deserve mine oh if that be all said lambourne my motives lie above water while this gold of mine lasts taking out his purse chucking it into the air and catching it as it fell i will make it by pleasure and when it is out i must have more now if this mysterious lady of the manor this fair lindebrides of tony fire the faggot be so admirable a piece as men say why there is a chance that she may aid me to mount my nobles into groats and again if anthony be so wealthy a chuff as report speaks him he may prove the philosopher's stone to me and convert my groats into fair rose nobles again a comfortable proposal truly said tressilian but i see not what chance there is of accomplishing it not to-day or perchance to-morrow answered lambourne i expect not to catch the old jack till i have disposed my ground-baits handsomely but i know something more of his affairs this morning than i did last night and i will so use my knowledge that he shall think it more perfect than it is nay without expecting either pleasure or profit or both i had not stepped astride within this manner i can tell you for i promise you i hold our visit not altogether without risk but here we are and we must make the best on't while he thus spoke they had entered a large orchard which surrounded the house on two sides though the trees abandoned by the care of man were overgrown and messy and seemed to bear little fruit those which had been formerly trained as espaliers had now resumed their natural mode of growing and exhibited grotesque forms partaking of the original training which they had received the greater part of the ground which had once been parterres and flower gardens was suffered in like manner to run to waste excepting a few patches which had been dug up and planted with ordinary pot herbs some statues which had ornamented the garden in its days of splendour were now thrown down from their pedestals and broken in pieces and a large summer-house having a heavy stone front decorated with carving representing the life and actions of samson was in the same dilapidated condition they had just traversed this garden of the sluggard and were within a few steps of the door of the mansion when lambourne had ceased speaking a circumstance very agreeable to tressilian as it saved him the embarrassment of either commenting upon or replying to the frank avowal which his companion had just made of the sentiments and views which induced him to come hither 
Lamborn knocked roundly and boldly at the huge door of the mansion, observing at the same time he had seen a less strong one upon a county jail. It was not until they had knocked more than once that an aged, sour-visaged domestic reconnoitred them through a small square hole in the door, well secured with bars of iron, and demanded what they wanted. To speak with Master Foster, instantly, on pressing business of the state, was the ready reply of Michael Lamborn. "'Methinks you will find difficulty to make that good,' said Tressilian, in a whisper to his companion, while the servant went to carry the message to his master. "'Tush!' replied the adventurer. "'No soldier would go on, were he always to consider when and how he should come off. Let us once obtain entrance, and all will go well enough.' In a short time the servant returned, and drawing with a careful hand both bolt and bar, opened the gate, which admitted them through an archway into a square court, surrounded by buildings. Opposite to the arch was another door, which the serving-man in like manner unlocked, and thus introduced them into a stone-paved parlour, where there was but little furniture, and that of the rudest and most ancient fashion. The windows were tall and ample, reaching almost to the roof of the room, which was composed of black oak. Those opening to the quadrangle were obscured by the height of the surrounding buildings, and, as they were traversed with massive shafts of solid stonework, and thickly painted with religious devices, and scenes taken from scripture history, by no means admitted light in proportion to their size, and what did penetrate through them partook of the dark and gloomy tinge of the stained glass. Tressilian and his guide had time enough to observe all these particulars, for they waited some space in the apartment, ere the present master of the mansion at length made his appearance. Prepared as he was to see an inauspicious and ill-looking person, the ugliness of Anthony Foster considerably exceeded what Tressilian had anticipated. He was of middle stature, built strongly, but so clumsily as to border on deformity, and to give all his motions the ungainly awkwardness of a left-legged and left-handed man. His hair, in arranging which men at that time, as at present, were very nice and curious, instead of being carefully cleaned and disposed into short curls, or else set up on end, as is represented in old paintings, in a manner resembling that used by fine gentlemen of our own day, escaped in sable negligence from under a furred bonnet, and hung in elf-locks, which seemed strangers to the comb over his rugged brows and around his very singular and unprepossessing countenance his keen dark eyes were deep-set beneath broad and shaggy eyebrows and as they were usually bent on the ground seemed as if they were themselves ashamed of the expression natural to them and were desirous to conceal it from the observation of men at times however when more intent on observing others he suddenly raised them and fixed them keenly on those with whom he conversed. They seemed to express both the fiercer passions and the power of mind which could at will suppress or disguise the intensity of inward feeling. The features which corresponded with these eyes and this form were irregular and marked so as to be indelibly fixed on the mind of him who had once seen them. Upon the whole, as Tressilian could not help acknowledging to himself, the Anthony Foster 
who now stood before them, was the last person, judging from personal appearance, upon whom one would have chosen to intrude an unexpected and undesired visit. His attire was a doublet of russet leather, like those worn by the better sort of country folk, girt with a buff belt, in which was stuck on the right side a long knife, or dudgeon dagger, and on the other a cutlass. He raised his eyes as he entered the room, and fixed a keenly penetrating glance upon his two visitors, then cast them down as if counting his steps, while he advanced slowly into the middle of the room, and said in a low and smothered tone of voice, "'Let me pray you, gentlemen, to tell me the cause of this visit.' He looked as if he expected the answer from Tressilian. So true was Lamborn's observation, that the superior air of breeding and dignity shone through the disguise of an inferior dress. But it was Michael who replied to him, with the easy familiarity of an old friend, and a tone which seemed unembarrassed by any doubt of the most cordial reception. "'Ha! Ah, my dear friend and ingle, Tony Foster!' he exclaimed, seizing upon the unwilling hand, and shaking it with such emphasis as almost to stagger the sturdy frame of the person whom he addressed. "'How fares it with you for many a long year? What, have you altogether forgotten your friend?' "'Gossip and playfellow, Michael Lamborn.' "'Michael Lamborn,' said Foster, looking at him a moment, then dropping his eyes, and with little ceremony extricating his hand from the friendly grasp of the person by whom he was addressed. "'Are you Michael Lamborn?' "'Aye, sure as you are Anthony Foster,' replied Lamborn. "'Tis well,' answered his sullen host, and what may Michael Lamborn expect from his visit hither? Bodo adios, answered Lamborn. I expected a better welcome than I am like to meet, I think. Why, thou gallows bird, thou jail rat, thou friend of the hangman and his customers, replied Foster, hast thou the assurance to expect countenance from any one whose neck is beyond the compass of a Tyburn tippet? It may be with me as you say, replied Lamborn, and suppose I grant it to be so for argument's sake. I were still good enough society for mine ancient friend, Anthony, fire the faggot, though he be, for the present, by some indescribable title, the master of Cumnor Place. Hark you, Michael Lamborn, said Foster. You are a gambler now, and live by the counting of chances. Compute me the odds that I do not, on this instant, "'Throw you out of that window into the ditch there.' Twenty to one that you do not,' answered the sturdy visitor. "'And wherefore, I pray you,' demanded Anthony Foster, "'setting his teeth and compressing his lips, "'like one who endeavours to suppress some violent internal emotion.' "'Because,' said Lamborn coolly, "'you dare not, for your life, lay a finger on me. "'I am younger.' and stronger than you, and have in me a double portion of the fighting devil, though not, it may be, quite so much of the undermining fiend that finds an underground way to his purpose, who hides halters under folks' pillows, and who puts ratsbane into their porridge, as the stage play says. Foster looked at him earnestly, then turned away, and paced the room twice with the same steady and considerate pace with which he had entered it. 
then suddenly came back and extended his hand to michael lambourne saying be not wrought with me good mike i did but try whether thou hadst parted with aught of thine old and honourable frankness which your enviers and backbiters called saucy impudence let them call it what they will said michael lambourne it is the commodity we must carry through the world with us unstaggered i tell thee man mine own stock of assurance was too small to trade upon i was fain to take in a ton or two more of brass at every port where i touched in the voyage of life and i started overboard what modesty and scruples i had remaining in order to make room for the stowage nay nay replied foster touching scruples and modesty you sailed hence in ballast but who is this gallant honest mike is he a corinthian a cutter like thyself i prithee no master tressilian bully foster replied lambourne presenting his friend in answer to his friend's question know him and honour him for he is a gentleman of many admirable qualities and though he traffics not in my line of business at least so far as i know he has nevertheless a just respect and admiration for artists of our class he will come to in time as seldom fails but as yet he is only a neophyte only a proselyte and frequents the company of cocks of the game as a puny fencer does the schools of the masters to see how a foil is handled by the teachers of defence if such be his quality i will pray your company in another chamber honest mike for what i have to say to thee is for thy private ear meanwhile i pray you sir to abide us in this apartment and without leaving it there be those in this house who would be alarmed by the sight of a stranger tressilian acquiesced and the two worthies left the apartment together in which he remained alone to await their return note one to chapter three foster lambourne and the black bear if faith is to be put in epitaphs anthony foster was something the very reverse of the character represented in the novel ashmole gives this description of his tomb i copy from the antiquities of berkshire volume one page one hundred forty three in the north wall of the chancel at cumnor church is a monument of grey marble whereon in brass plates are engraved a man in armour and his wife in the habit of her times both kneeling before a faldstool together with the figures of three sons kneeling behind their mother under the figure of the man is this inscription antonius forster generis generosa propago cumneri dominus bercariensis erat armiger armigero prognatus pater ricardo qui quondam inflati salopiensis erat quatro ex isto fluxurant stemati nati ex ist antonius stemata quartus erat menta sigox animo precellens corporo promptus elochii dulcis ora desertus erat in factus probitas puit in sermona venustas in vultu gravitas 
religione fides, in patrium pietas, in egonos grata voluntas, accedunt reliquis anumeranda bonis, si quod cunctum rapit, rapuit non omnia lentum, si quod mors rapuit, vivida fama dedit. These verses following are writ at length, two by two, in praise of him. Arguta resonas, Cithere, prendendera cordas, Noet et a onia, Concrepuissa lyra, Gaudebat terre teneras, De figura plantas, Et mira pulcros, Construir arta domos, Composita varias, Lingua formare localos, Doctus et e ducta, Scribara multa manu, The arms over it thus, Court one, three hunter's horns, stringed, Two, three pinions with their points upwards, The crest is a stag, quotient, Vulnerated through the neck by a broad arrow, on his stride is a martlet for a difference. From this monumental inscription, it appears that Anthony Foster, instead of being a vulgar, low-bred, puritanical churl, was in fact a gentleman of birth and consideration, distinguished for his skill in the arts of music and horticulture, as also in languages. In so far, therefore, the Anthony Foster of the romance has nothing but the name in common with the real individual. But notwithstanding the charity, benevolence, and religious faith imputed by the monument of grey marble to its tenant, tradition, as well as secret history, names him as the active agent in the death of the countess. And it is added that, from being a jovial and convivial gallant, as we may infer from some expressions in the epitaph, he sunk, after the fatal deed, into a man of gloomy and retired habits, whose looks and manners indicated that he suffered under the pressure of some atrocious secret. The name of Lamborn is still known in the vicinity, and it is said some of the clan partake the habits, as well as name, of the Michael Lamborn of the romance. A man of this name lately murdered his wife, outdoing Michael in this respect, who only was concerned in the murder of the wife of another man. I have only to add that the jolly black bear has been restored to its predominance over bull and bottle in the village of Cumnor. End note. End chapter three.